you have a Bible, please turn to the book of Acts, chapter 24. Acts chapter 24, I've been preaching through the book of Acts. This tells the story of how Christianity spread uh, when Jesus lived, died, and rose again. And then Acts tells us about how the early disciples went out and told people about Jesus. We're now in Acts chapter 24. We're going to be reading the entire chapter here in just a second, starting in verse 1. To let you know where we are here in the last couple of chapters, Paul was in Jerusalem after his final missionary trip, but the Jews there tried to kill Paul, so the Romans arrested him, really to rescue him from the Jews, and the Romans have now sent Paul some 60 miles north up to Caesarea, where Paul will now face his first of three official Roman trials in the next Three chapters. So that's where we are. Let's pray and we'll read. Oh, Father, we just open our hearts up to you now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We need you. We trust, Father, that when we cling to Christ with a simple childlike faith, that, Father, you forgive us and you are infinitely pleased with us. You are delighted in your children. If I, as a sinful man, can delight in my own children, how much more can the Heavenly Father delight in His children? We thank you. You receive all of us in Christ Jesus. You are delighted in us. You are working in us, Father, by the power of the Holy Spirit. We know one of the ways you do that is in and through your word, the scriptures. So we pray you would open this portion of your word up to us for our eternal good. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, there are times in the Bible when, when God speaks some very uncomfortable truth to you. You know, we would like to think that God would speak just very comfortable things to us, uh, pleasant things, things that would make us feel very good, and yet the truth is that in God's Word there are times when God speaks some very uncomfortable truths to us, unpleasant things that do not make us initially feel very good. But please hear this, God speaks that uncomfortable truth to you because God loves you. And when you truly love someone, you speak the whole truth, even when that truth might hurt. Those of you who have children, you know. You will not just speak the things that feel good, but you will speak the whole truth because you love your children. And God is the same with us. He will speak the truth. And listen, this uncomfortable truth that God speaks at times to us in His Word, it can bring you tremendous healing, can change you, can change the course of your entire life. If that is, you will listen and actually receive the uncomfortable truth He speaks to you. And we see here in this text, God in love speaking through Paul, some very uncomfortable truth to the Roman governor and his wife. We'll go ahead and read it starting in verse 1. And after five days there in Caesarea, the high priest Ananias came down to Caesarea with some elders and a spokesman, one Tertullus. And they laid before the governor their case against Paul. 
And when he had been summoned, Tertullus began to accuse Paul, saying, Since through you we enjoy much peace, and since by your foresight, most excellent Felix, reforms are being made for this nation in every way and everywhere, we accept this with all gratitude. But to detain you no further, I beg you in your kindness to hear us briefly, for we have found this man a plague. Paul, one who stirs up riots among all the Jews throughout the whole world and is a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. He even tried to profane the temple, but we seized him. By examining him yourself, you will be able to find out from him about everything of which we accuse him. The Jews also joined in the charge, affirming that all these things were so. And when the governor had nodded to him to speak, Paul replied, Knowing that for many years you have been a judge over this nation, I cheerfully make my defense. You can verify that it is not more than 12 days since I went up to worship in Jerusalem. And they did not find me disputing with anyone or stirring up a crowd, either in the temple or in the synagogues or in the city. Neither can they prove to you what they now bring up against me. But this I confess to you, that according to the way which they call a sect, I worship the God of our fathers." Believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets, having a hope in God, which these men themselves accept, that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. So I always take pains to have a clear conscience before both God and man. Now after several years, I came to bring alms to my nation and to present offerings. And while I was doing this, they found me purified in the temple. Without any crowd or tumult, but some Jews from Asia, they ought to be here before you and to make an accusation should they have anything against me. Or else, let these men themselves say what wrongdoing they found when I stood before the council. Other than this one thing that I cried out while standing among them, it is with respect to the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial before you this day. But Felix, having a rather accurate knowledge of the way, Put them off, saying, when Lysias, the tribune, comes down, I will decide your case. Then he gave orders to the centurion that he should be kept in custody, but have some liberty, and that none of his friends should be prevented from attending to his needs. And after some days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, and he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus, and as Paul reasoned about righteousness and self-control, and the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed and said, Go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. At the same time, he hoped that money would be given him by Paul, so he sent for him often and conversed with him. When two years had elapsed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus, and desiring to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. Amen. I think you can see in this text three main, main parts. Um, Here they are on the screen for you. One, the prosecution. And two, the defense. And three, the offense. Those are the things we'll look at here. We're going to move quickly through the first two the prosecution and the defense in this trial. 
And I want to focus a little more on that third point because a lot of the first of this text is what we've seen in the earlier chapters in Acts. So we'll move quickly to the third point where we see God through Paul speaking some very uncomfortable truth to the Roman governor Felix. So the first thing we see here with this trial, number one, is just the the prosecution. Paul, he's been back in Caesarea here, up north of Jerusalem, for the past five days under Roman guard. And verse 1 says, the Jewish high priest, Ananias, you may remember from the last chapter, he was the one who ordered Paul to be struck in the mouth illegally. And Ananias has now arrived in Caesarea with some elders, verse 1 says, or some Jewish religious leaders, and a spokesman, this guy named Tertullus, who was big basically the prosecuting attorney here. He is the hired legal gun for these Jewish religious leaders. And this Jewish prosecution team now brings formal charges against the Apostle Paul for what has been taking place in Jerusalem in the last couple of chapters. And they bring their charges now before the Roman governor Felix. Now, the governor in the Roman Empire was a very high position, but this man Felix was not a great man. Felix was the first slave ever to rise to the level of Roman governor. And Tacitus, Roman historian, said that Felix wielded his power as king with the insensitivity of a slave. Known for his corruption, his cynicism, his brutality, Tacitus said Felix reveled in cruelty and lust, an unscrupulous, greedy, scheming politician. And Tertullus, this man, the the prosecuting attorney, is now standing before Governor Felix and he states the charges against the Apostle Paul. Three charges in particular. Number one, Tertullus says Paul has been causing riots. If you look again at verse 5, he says, For we have found this man, Paul, a plague, one who stirs up riots among all the Jews throughout the world. In our day, he's calling him a cancer. This guy's a cancer. He infects everyone. He's stirring up riots in the Jewish world all over the place. And the fact is there had been riots around the Apostle Paul in Jewish territories like back in Jerusalem, but they had not been started by the Apostle Paul. Paul was simply preaching peacefully about the Lord Jesus Christ and the Jews hated Christ and they stirred up riots trying to kill the Apostle Paul. But listen, that charge of causing riots, that was a serious charge in the Roman Empire because the Romans loved their Pax Romana, the peace in the Roman Empire. And if anybody threatened the peace of the Roman Empire, that person was in trouble. That's charge one. And the second charge against Paul, Tertullus says Paul was a religious heretic. If you look again at the end of verse five, he says, and Paul, this guy, is a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. The Greek word for sect is hierasis. It's where we get the word heresy. Tertullus was saying, this man, Paul, is the leader of a dangerous heresy, Christianity, which was also called the Nazarene or the Nazarene sect at at this time. And the final charge against Paul, Tertullus says, 
that Paul had desecrated the temple down in Jerusalem. If you look at verse 6, he says he even tried to profane the temple, but we seized him. And Tertullus there is referring back to Acts 21, when the Jews found Paul in the temple in Jerusalem, fulfilling a vow that he'd made, and they just suspected, they thought that Paul had brought a Greek man, Trophimus, into the temple, which would have been a violation of Jewish law, which Paul had not done. So that's the prosecution's case against Paul here before this Roman governor. Three serious and yet slanderous charges against Paul. They are false. Have you ever been in those situations where that slander is coming and you know it's false? And how that feels to you inside? And I've heard a saying before, been very helpful for me. Maybe it's helpful for you. When you feel vulnerable in a situation like that, say you are being slandered and you feel the unjustness of that, you have three choices. Do not puff up in anger on those people, but also don't shrink in fear and shame, but stand on your sacred ground. Speak the truth and trust God to vindicate you. Don't puff up, don't shrink, stand on your sacred ground. And that's what Paul does here. It's the second thing we see now in this trial. We have the prosecution, they've now rested, and now we have the defense. Paul defends himself against all three charges. Charge one, that Paul had caused riots. We'll look at verse 11. You can verify yourself, governor, that it is not more than 12 days since I went up to worship in Jerusalem, and they did not find me disputing or arguing heatedly with anyone or stirring up a crowd, either in the temple or in the synagogues or in the city. I was minding my own business, not causing riots. Charge two, that Paul was a religious heretic. We'll look at verse 14. But this I confess to you, Felix, that according to the way, which was another name for Christianity at the time, they were called the sect of the Nazarenes, or also the way, according to the way, which they, the Jews, call a sect or a heresy, I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets, prophets having a hope in God, which these men themselves accept, that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. And just pause on that for a second. Can you, can you see what Paul was just there saying? In, in, in this trial, just picture the courtroom. The public was also probably in there. Here's the Roman governor, Felix. You, you see what Paul just said there? He just said there that Christianity, rather than being some dangerous heresy opposed to Judaism... No, Christianity was actually directly in line with and the ultimate fulfillment of Judaism. I, Paul says, like these Jews here, I worship the God of our fathers. Abraham and Isaac and, and Jacob, the, the Jewish God. And he adds, I believe everything, like these Jews here, I believe everything in the law and the prophets, the Old Testament, the Jewish scriptures, the first two-thirds of your Bible. And I also, Paul says, just as these Jews here accept, I also have a future hope that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust, which the Jewish scriptures teach. And John Stott says this, he says, Paul was not a heretical deviant, for he stood squarely 
in mainstream Judaism. The primary difference between Paul and these Jews here is that Paul now knew that all of Judaism was ultimately fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything in those Old Testament scriptures, as Jesus said in Luke 24, everything ultimately pointed to Jesus. He was the fulfillment of all that the Jews longed for. He was God's Messiah. He was the suffering servant from the book of Isaiah. He was the sacrificial lamb seen throughout the Old Testament scriptures. He was the Savior. Christianity was not some dangerous heresy opposed to Judaism, but it was directly in line with the ultimate fulfillment of Judaism. And Paul had simply been telling people that Christ was the fulfillment of all things. So he's answered now this second charge that he was a leader of a dangerous heretical sect. And charge three, that Paul had desecrated the temple. That was just a lie. And Paul says in verse 18 that when the Jews found him in the temple back in Acts 21, he was just fulfilling a vow. There was no crowd. There was no tumult around him. No riot. Nothing. It was a false accusation. So Paul has now entered his defense on the heels of this prosecution, his plea now of innocence, just standing on his sacred ground, speaking the truth, trusting God to vindicate him in front of these slanderous charges. But here's the thing, when you track through this text here, verse 22 says that Felix now, for some reason, decides to postpone his judgment until the Roman tribune, Lysias, arrives the one who originally sent Paul to Felix. Now we don't know why Felix postponed his judgment here, but he does. And verse 23 says, Felix then gave orders to keep Paul under guard with some liberty. His friends could visit him and care for his needs, but Paul is still in Roman custody, and it is crazy when you think about it. This is an innocent man. The Roman tribune Lysias in the last passage, he said so in a letter he wrote to Felix. He said Paul had committed no crime worthy of imprisonment or of death. And they still have no facts against Paul that would say he's guilty in any way. And yet Paul remains in custody. It's a very unjust confinement for the Apostle Paul. And listen, this thing does not just end in a few days days. Did you catch verse 27? Look at it again if you will. When two years had elapsed. Two years in Roman custody. Two years that Felix postponed his judgment. Two years until Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus, and Felix then, desiring to do the Jews a favor, left Paul in prison. He's innocent and yet in prison here for over two years. Have you ever had a situation as a follower of Christ when it felt like God had just totally abandoned you? 
or that, or that God had lost complete control over your situation. Where are you, God? What are you doing here, God? Is that cry, I've mentioned it before, it's all through the Psalms. Why, oh God, do the righteous suffer? Why? And Paul, I'm sure, was tempted to cry in prison here. Why, God, do the righteous suffer? Where, where are you? And yet, as we saw last Sunday, even, even when you cannot see or you do not understand how God is in control, He is still in control and He is working in and through every situation for the eternal good of His people. And listen, God right here, God had a plan with this imprisonment with the Apostle Paul. Jesus had earlier said this to his disciples, Luke 21, 12. He said, they will lay their hands on you, disciples, Christians, and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and to prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. And this will be your opportunity to bear witness. And Paul now, having been delivered up to this prison, as Jesus said, he was now going to be brought before this Roman governor, this golden opportunity now to bear witness about Christ. And that's the final thing we see here. First the prosecution, then the the defense, and number three now, the offense, as Paul now goes on the offensive. If you look at verse 24, after some days Felix came with his wife Drusilla. He came to Paul, or they, they, they came, let me back up. After some days Felix came with his wife Drusilla, who was Jewish, and he, Felix, sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. Why was Paul in prison? That right there is one of the main reasons. That he was there for two years. And man, you you look at what just happened with the Apostle Paul. As a Christian, you just pray for opportunities like that. Oh God, will you please just have somebody ask me, will you tell me about faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Be careful what you pray for. Because that might mean that you go to prison for two years in order to get that opportunity. And Paul now has it. He just has this wide open door with this Roman governor, one of the most powerful in the Roman Empire, to share about Christ. But what I want you to notice today, I want you to notice how Paul shared here about the Lord Jesus Christ. Put yourself in Paul's shoes. Paul was speaking here with two of the most powerful people in the entire empire. Felix has the power to release him. Felix also has the power all by himself to keep him imprisoned as long as he wants or to give the orders to have Paul executed. This was no joke for the Apostle Paul to be talking to Felix and Drusilla. You talk about having a lot riding on your words. This was a matter of life and death for the Apostle Paul. And don't you think if this were you, That you might have been tempted just a little in your sharing of Christ to speak just very comfortable truths with Felix and (laughs) Drusilla. 
just these pleasant things about God and Christ that would have made these two people feel really, really good. Just talk about God's love and God's peace and joy and, and heaven. God is love, Felix and Drusilla. God is peace. God is joy. Just put your faith in Christ and God will give you a wonderful life and He'll take you to heaven when you die. Will you please let me out of prison now? Come on! You know you would have been tempted in this setting to do that. And yet Paul doesn't do that. Now, Paul actually talks here about some very uncomfortable truth. If you look again at the end of verse 24, they sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. And as Paul reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment. So Paul, one thing he covers here, is the topic of righteousness. Probably meaning that Paul talked about their moral responsibility as God's creatures to live upright lives. Talked about God's holiness and how we, as God's creatures, owe God a perfect righteousness. Owe God these upright and moral lives. And Paul also talked about self-control. Or the restraint of one's sinful passions, impulses, desires. How God expects us as His creatures to live self-controlled lives. And I want you to just pause there for a second with those first two. With those first two things there. Talking about righteousness. Talking about self-control. You know what Paul was probably addressing with Felix and Drusilla? He was probably addressing their sin. Their unrighteousness, their lack of self-control. You know, there's a bit more of the backstory here that can kind of help us to understand what was going on. I already told you about this man, Felix. A man who wielded the power of a king with the insensitivity of a slave. His corruption, his brutality. His lust or his greed, which was notorious in the Roman Empire. And Felix's wife, Drusilla, was not that different. She came from a very corrupt Jewish family. Drusilla's father was Herod Agrippa. If you remember back to Acts chapter 12, he just recently died a very brutal death. Because he boasted in his own greatness before a massive crowd, did not give God glory, and the Bible says an angel of the Lord struck him down. That was her father. And Drusilla's grandfather was Herod the Great, who slaughtered innocent babies in Bethlehem trying to kill Jesus at his birth. Not a great family, and Drusilla certainly had her own issues. Drusilla, historians say, was probably not more than 20 years old at this time, and she was already on her second marriage. She had married much earlier, around 14, 15 years old, but she was notoriously beautiful, and Felix had seduced her. 
For many years in there, they were illicit lovers, and she eventually left her first husband and married Felix, a scandalous marriage. So when the Bible says here that Paul talked with them about righteousness and self-control, I don't think Paul was just giving them a general theological lesson on those two concepts. Here's what righteousness is. Here's what self-control is. No, I think Paul was probably addressing their specific sin. Felix's ruthlessness, maybe. His brutality. His greed, his lust, to Drusilla's infidelity, this, this marriage. You may remember back a few years before this, John the Baptist in the Bible, he had earlier addressed the sin of another Herod, Antipas, who stole his brother's wife, and John the Baptist called him out for it. And John the Baptist, because he called him out for that sin, was beheaded. Similar, most likely, to what Paul just did here. Addressing most likely their sin at the risk of his own head. Incredibly courageous. Hugh Latimer, he was an English reformer. He on many occasions had the opportunity to preach before Henry VIII who was a ruthless king. Your memory, Henry VIII, from your history classes, uh, killed several of his own wives trying to get a male heir. And Latimer preached in front of Henry VIII multiple times. And on one occasion, Latimer offended Henry in his sermon. The king, feeling convicted about his sin... So Henry VIII commanded that Latimer preach the next Sunday and apologize. And so Latimer did preach, and he started his sermon in the pulpit by talking to himself, and he said this, Hugh Latimer, dost thou know before whom thou art this day to speak, to the high and mighty king who can take away the life, thy life if thou offendest? Therefore, take heed that thou speakest not a word that may displease, but then consider well, Hugh, dost thou know who has sent thee? To preach. Even the great and mighty God who is all present and who beholdeth all thy ways and is able to cast thy soul into hell. Therefore, take care that thou deliverest thy message faithfully. And Hugh Latimer then went on and preached the exact same sermon he had preached the week before. Only it is said that he preached it this time with much more fervor. Addressing again the sin of King Henry VIII at the risk of his life. Like Paul here, I would imagine. Addressing most likely, not just the general topics of righteousness and self-control, but the sin of Felix and Drusilla. Their unrighteousness, their lack of self-control. In the lives of these two powerful people. And Paul doesn't stop there. Just addressing their sin. Now if you look again at verse 25. And as Paul reasoned about righteousness. And self-control. And the coming judgment. So Paul talked here. About their sin. And the fact that they would one day be judged. 
for their sin at the return of Christ, the final judgment, where they would then be held accountable by God, their creator, for their lives. You you know what Paul probably discussed with these two powerful people? He probably discussed the eternal hell that everyone who dies in their sin will receive, as the Bible clearly says, repeatedly, like here in Daniel 12.2. It says, those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. That's that future resurrection of the entire human race, some resurrected to everlasting life, and some resurrected to shame and everlasting contempt. Or 2 Thessalonians 1.9, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. And Paul has now talked with these two powerful unbelievers about righteousness and self-control and judgment to come not just very comfortable truths that would have sounded very pleasant to felix and drusilla that that would have made them feel very good all warm and fuzzy on the inside no these were very uncomfortable unpleasant truths made them feel really bad and it did you know what paul just did here with felix and drusilla this thing rattled them If you look at their response in verse 25, and as Paul reasoned about righteousness and self-control in the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed. A man who most likely boasted in never being alarmed, terrified around anyone, he is now alarmed, speaking with this man confined in Roman custody. Rattled. He's unsettled. He's disturbed. The Greek word for alarmed refers to an intense fear. Felix and probably also Drusilla were terrified suddenly. And man, you, you think about what Paul just did, sharing this very uncomfortable truth here with these two unbelievers. Man, that kind of sharing about Jesus Christ, that is so rare in our day. Unacceptable in many Christian circles. There's just this idea that, that we in Christian circles should never really talk about a person's sin. You, you can hear, there's a, a famous televangelism, uh, televangelist now who will say, he does not talk about sin. You're not in, in the, the, the idea is that we, we shouldn't talk about sin in any direct way. We should never talk about judgment and certainly not talk about hell. It's just so uncomfortable. And listen, that stuff is definitely not popular in our culture. It's just not. There's just this pressure on us as Christians. Just talk about the nice things. Just talk about the comfortable things. You want to build your church. Talk about the comfortable things, the pleasant things, the things that will make people feel good. They'll walk away feeling warm and fuzzy on the inside. Oh, just trust in Christ and God will give you a wonderful life. Do whatever you want and when you die, you'll go to heaven. And listen, talk like that. It, it, it can sound very loving, but true love tells the truth. True love tells the whole truth, even when that truth might hurt. And some of God's truth in His Word, it is just uncomfortable truth. It is just unsettling, it's disturbing, it might even alarm you. 
And we tend to shy away from things that alarm people. Don't want to make people afraid. That can't be God. But Paul did it. It is God at times. Because there is a good and healthy type of fear. Proverbs 9.10 The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Listen, until you have a healthy fear, a reverence of God, in all of His majesty, His holiness, His justice, His mercy, His love, until you begin to feel that fear, that reverence of God, the Bible says you don't even have the start of wisdom. Or Proverbs 16, 6, By the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. You know, Felix and Drusilla here, in order for them to turn away from evil in their lives and turn to Christ, they needed a healthy fear of the one true God. His holiness, his justice, his justifiable anger toward all sin. One writer says it like this. says, our preaching should put the fear of God in our listeners. Hell is a fearful thing. Besides, there is such a thing as a fear that is there for our good. Fear stops us stepping off cliffs, walking into fire, etc., It was this fear that made Felix tremble as he heard Paul preach righteousness, self-control, and judgment. His heart trembled. Listen, it's, it's, it's not just Felix and Drusilla, is it? Who need to hear about righteousness and self-control and judgment. It's all of us. It's, it's the entire human race. Because the Bible says that all of us have lived unrighteous lives. We have all lacked self-control at times. The entire human race now in our natural born state heading toward judgment. Romans 3.10, Paul says this. He says, none is righteous. No, not one. We are all by nature. We are like Felix and Drusilla. Unrighteous in God's eyes. Living under God's wrath. Romans 1.18 Paul says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. And please hear me. If you, like Felix and Drusilla, if you today are living in your sin, you've not yet turned to Christ in faith, you should be alarmed. You should be alarmed. God wants you to be alarmed. A healthy fear. God wants you today to hear some uncomfortable truth because God loves you. And this uncomfortable truth can actually bring tremendous healing to your life. It can can change the course of your life if you'll actually listen to this uncomfortable truth and receive what God says and you don't put Him off. Which is apparently what Felix and Drusilla now did. If you look at verse 25 one more time. And as Paul reasoned about righteousness and self-control in the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed and said, Go away for the present. And when I get an opportunity, I will summon you. And verse 26 says that Felix then sent for Paul and conversed with Paul often for two years, but there is no indication that Felix ever turned to Christ in faith 
his heart alarmed hearing this uncomfortable truth about sin and about judgment. And yet Felix delayed. Lots of talk with Paul, but no choice to turn and follow Christ in faith. Kent Hughes, he says there are two tragedies possible for every human soul. The first tragedy that's possible is the tragedy of never trembling. You never see your sin. You never truly see it. It's always somebody else who's the problem, not you. You never see it. You never actually tremble. You're never actually alarmed before God like Felix here. But the second tragedy possible for human souls is actually trembling before God. Alarmed. You see your sin and you disregard it. You delay. You procrastinate. Lots of talk maybe, but no choice to turn to Christ. J.C. Ryle, 19th century Anglican minister, in a book that he wrote, he said this. He said, do you think that you will have a more convenient time to think about these things? So thought Felix, to whom Paul preached, but it never came. The road to hell is paved with such ideas. Better make sure to work while you can. Leave nothing unsettled that is eternal. Run no risk when your soul is at stake. Listen, the Bible says that today is the day of your salvation. Not tomorrow, not in two years, which may never come for you, but today. The Romans had a, a saying, carpe diem, seize the day, which Felix and Drusilla failed to do. But here's the great news for all who do seize the day and turn to Christ in faith. You think about all of those uncomfortable truths that Paul talked about here. Righteousness and self-control and judgment to come. Well, the good news is that the answer for all of those things is ultimately found in the Lord Jesus Christ. You, because of your sin, the Bible says you are unrighteous. But Jesus on the cross, He took your unrighteousness. He took your sin. And the Bible says that all who cling to Him in faith, His righteousness is given to you. Second Corinthians 5.21, here it is. For our sake, God made Jesus to be sin, who knew no sin. Jesus took our sin on the cross so that in Him, through faith in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. And you who lacked self-control, the second topic Paul covered here. Well now, listen, now that you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit now lives in you, the Bible says. And one thing the Holy Spirit produces in you, here it is, Galatians 5.22. But the fruit of the Spirit, that which the Spirit now produces in you, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And as for the last, the judgment that you deserve in your sin, we hear our Jesus' own words in John 5, 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me, whoever turns to me in faith has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, 
but has passed from death to life. But see, until you hear about unrighteousness and, self, and lack of self-control and judgment to come, do you really see a need for Jesus? Do you really see it? But once you begin to see your unrighteousness and your lack of self-control and God's judgment in the Scripture, those uncomfortable truths, now you know why you need Jesus. You don't need Him just to give you a wonderful life. You need Jesus to save you from hell to come and bring you into God's presence forever. That is why you need Christ. And Paul had preached it faithfully until it warmed up in Felix and Drusilla's heart and they rejected, what about you? You know, the ultimate answer, just in closing, for every last bit of uncomfortable truth in God's Word, the answer is found in Christ. So the thing to do in your life, listen, it's not to avoid God's uncomfortable truth. Just go and find yourself a preacher who will be very syrupy sweet to you every Sunday. That's not the answer. No, you need, we need to hear at times about our very specific sins. Listen, there are some of you today, you need to hear about your sin. You have been playing around for years. And it is time for you to hear it. And you need somebody to look you in the eyes in a gracious, loving, and firm way and say, you are a sinner. You have violated God's commands. He is a holy God who will not dwell in the presence of sin. He does not just wink at it and let it go. Some of you need to hear it. You desperately need to hear it. Don't avoid the truth. Hear the truth. And let it then compel you and drive you to Christ. Who is the ultimate answer for all the uncomfortable truth in God's word. So may God open your heart today and help you to receive his love for you in and through the uncomfortable truth in his word. Oh, we bless you, Lord. We praise you. These things are not always easy for us. Father, we live in a day where, where it, it, we, we're just supposed to be sweet to people all the time. We have a saying, love wins, supposedly just be syrupy sweet to everybody and it all work out in the end. And yet we see in your word that a loving God, loving in all you do, is also just is also holy, is also righteous, a God who in His justice must punish sin and will punish sin, and in love has sent His own Son to receive that punishment so that we, through faith in Him, might be free and enter Your presence forever. Lord God, may we be a people that receives the truths that do feel a bit more uncomfortable in the Scripture, will You give us faith to believe that even those parts of the Word, they are love. Love, love. A God who loves us so much that He'll tell us the whole truth. And may we be a church that truly loves. That truly loves. And because we love, we don't water down the truth, but we speak the whole truth. 
We don't just pass over sins and just say, peace, peace, all will be well with you. But we actually go into the gaps and address the sin in order that things might truly be well. Help us, Father, we pray. You are good. Help us to receive your word. In Jesus' name, amen.